you know, part of it is having seen many things and, and thinking, well, that, that sort of fits into the kinds of things that I look at. But at the same time, you know, to say, I want to be surprised. So I, I'm also searching for circumstances that, that violate that um, in order to be surprised. When I am surprised, it's, it's like it's everything in me to attempt to rise to the occasion that's been presented to me. It's, it's the terror and the fun. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today I have an absolute thrill. We are talking with Doug Hill. Doug is a corporate photographer, a fine art photographer. His work has been all over the place. It's in magazines, books, catalogs. It's at the J. Paul Getty Museum, the Library of Congress, the Museum of Photographic Arts, and the Huntington Library. You know him, of course, for his work at Frames. He's a very active member of the community. Doug, welcome. How's everything out in Los Angeles today? Thank you very much, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Today it's, uh, I don't know, probably 75 degrees and sunny, but we're on stay-at-home orders, so um, (laughs) I'm stuck in the office at the moment. Oh, that's a shame, because 75 degrees and sunny out in Los Angeles, that's a photographer's dream. That's what everybody hopes for. You get that beautiful light out there. Doug, there is so much that I want to talk to you about your photography. There's so much about this that I find really impressive and and enlightening. But I got to begin at the beginning. I I, I really want to know, how in the world did you get from being, you know, the seven-year-old with an Instamatic up to a world-class corporate and fine art photographer? I got started. I got my first serious camera. It was a Nikromat. And the reason that I got it was that I was going out with someone who was very interested in pursuing an acting career. And I thought, well, here's a perfect opportunity. I'll have a model, someone that I can work with and and start to figure out how the camera worked. That actually worked out pretty well, straight off the bat. And I had access to actors and actresses through agents and, and producers and folks like that. So I began doing headshots and I did that for several years. But after a while, I I began to burn out on it. I certainly loved working with people, but there was something about the the process of shooting that that was kind of growing stale. So I started looking around for other things that I could do with a camera. I had been interested as a kid in architecture, thought I might even become an architect at one point, except that there was way too much math involved. And um, (laughs) so I, I got a four by five, a large format camera, and began shooting buildings that interested me, but didn't know what to do next with it. And so I started calling all of the um, architectural photographers, the serious ones in in the area, uh, which were, you know, maybe a dozen people. It was before the the field had really burgeoned. Um, And I called them all um, asking if they needed assistance. Most of them politely said no, including Julius Schulman, who said, nah, I don't need an assistant. Um, <laughs> he recommended um, a guy named Leland Lee, who had been his assistant for a number of years, especially through the period when Julius was at the height of his powers. And he said, you talk to Leland, and I have confidence that that, that may work out. I called Leland. Leland was gracious enough to say, sure, come on by. I showed him some of my work. He said, well, this isn't very good. 
um, <laughs> which was uh, not particularly <laughs> encouraging, but I thought, okay, uh, I'll, I'll plow on here. But he said, you know what? Um, I can use an assistant and you're welcome to, to start doing that if, if it interests you. So it did very much. And I learned an incredible amount from, from him working with him in, in sort of the first year that I, I got to know him. Then I started to, to pick up clients and um, found that I, I really enjoyed the work. I, I enjoyed working at a much slower pace. Uh, it was hard work, it's physical work. There's um, a lot more lighting. The, the cameras were larger and heavier, but it required an attention to detail that I discovered I, I really enjoyed. So I stuck with architectural photography for many years. At the same time, I was doing some fine art. I had uh, gone to UCLA and, and studied there and, and um, also Cal Arts. So I, I was sort of on these two tracks, one being the, the commercial architectural work and the other being fine art. Well, you've led into a couple of my other questions uh, just beautifully there because you gave up working with people. I mean, headshots, you know, admittedly, but still working with people because it became stale and you started photographing inanimate objects. That that seems a little counterintuitive there. And yet there's that attention to detail. There's that attention to lighting. What is it about architectural photography that is so vibrant? I mean, when you look at the best of it, when you look at your work, it really does have a, a, a vibrant quality to it. How do you describe that? How do you go about con- constructing an aesthetic in architectural photography? The first part of the process is to figure out where to stand. Where do you put the camera? And there's, there's something about certain spots in, in an interior or even an exterior where the scene in front of you just kind of coalesces and build from there. And the building is, is largely um, about sort of tweaking the, uh, your framing, but then also starting to add lighting, especially with interiors. And that's where things start to become more compelling. In the old days, it was looking at Polaroids and um, making changes and then making another Polaroid and then another Polaroid. Um, it was mm-hmm. very time consuming and, and costly because Polaroids weren't cheap, but that was part of the process and it's what people were, were willing to pay to, to get the best possible results. In the digital age, of course, um, those kinds of changes are, are easily made, relatively speaking, and you can see the changes as they occur and go back and, and look at, at how things have changed. And, and there is a magic to it that I've always enjoyed, being able to look at something and say, all right, well, it looks like this now. How can I improve it? How can I, what are the areas of the frame that need livening up with lighting or something else? Primarily lighting though. Mm-hmm. And then adding and adding and adding, removing things, bringing other things in, that sort of thing. Well, let's talk about one of your images from the uh, DougHill.com website on interiors. And it's it's the first one there. It's the one with the bowl of fruit right up in, in front and then the white couch and then the pool and the background. Right. If, if you look at that picture in a magazine, you think, what a lovely room. If you look at that as a photographer, you think, how in the world did he do that? Focus is, is from six inches to infinity. Every line is straight. This isn't some super wide angle lens where everything's curved at the edges. Walk me through that picture, if you would, from composing the scene to post-production. First of all, it's, it's deciding that is an angle that's worth pursuing and then determining what time of day is going to be best to take it. You know, is the what's what's happening to the light 
because very often you look at a scene and there's something about the light that that's just it's either flat or you're you're facing the sun or something mitigates it and you have to determine all right well this is going to be better in 2 hours or in the afternoon something like that and then it it's a matter of deciding what to include and invariably there are uh, aspects of a, a scene that are are going to be dark or light so you have to find an exposure that works for as much of the scene as you can can get it and then with uh, supplementary lighting play things up play things down and go through the, it very methodically until you have what you feel are results that work. Is there a lot of lighting to this scene that I don't see? I mean, are there 15 studio lights just hiding off frame? No, I, I try to keep the, the lighting to a minimum as far as the number of lights concerned. I think probably that shot had maybe three or four. And that they're going back to the, the days of film where you have to concern yourself with reflections. Uh, I, I still like to try to get everything in the, the camera to the extent that I can, but I also know that time is valuable. And if there are things that I can correct reasonably well in Photoshop, then I'll do that. So the, the light placement um, has to do with avoiding reflections, but also how can you illuminate objects and surfaces in a way that's meaningful and doesn't draw attention to the lighting? Okay. Mm -hmm. I never want people to say, oh, they didn't have that his lighting is is fantastic. Um, I'd much rather have them just admire the room. W would you say that a sense of line, a, a sense of reseeding lines, forwarding lines, whatever, uh, is a part of your aesthetic? Because it's one of the things I notice most, and maybe it's just luck of the draw. These are the places that have asked to be photographed. But th there's a real sense of geometry to your work. Is that something you look for? Well, I wouldn't say that it's something that I actually work towards. I think it's it's something I'm naturally drawn to, I, I guess. I, I should say naturally, but also based on now decades of experience. As I said, when I show up, I the first thing I figure out is where do I stand? Where do I place the camera? And very often it's it's a place that, that has all of those components, that there's something about the geometry of the space or or the building that appeals to me and at the same time um, I think goes a long way to summing up what the space is about. So, so there is a sense of, of story or a sense of narrative to them. I'm looking at a picture now on the, um, this is the hospitality tab on this website and mm -hmm. it's, I'm going to call it the Tom Ford shot only because there's a book uh, that says Tom Ford right in the <laughs> middle of it. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's a hotel lobby I believe. This is I mean, leather chairs, a little table with, with a computer on it, some brown uh, pillars uh, receding off into the background. How did you make the decision uh, to stand there for this shot? Because three steps to your right, you would have been focusing on just this one little nook. And here you've got one and then receding two, three, and four after it. Right. Um, I, I tend to like more complicated things. So okay. more complicated spaces, ones where you can see from one space into another, or there's something off to the side that's interesting, as opposed to just, I, I enjoy vignettes as well. But if I can find a way to convey something that's a little more complex, I'm going to also gravitate to that. It's not to say that it's, these are, are conscious decisions. I think a lot of it is, is intuitive, that these are the things that I'm drawn to in my quest to document a space. and. That, that's what drives things. It's not something intellectual or, or 
conscious. And I, I want to switch now because your your fine artwork, your, your more personal work, also has that really strong sense of uh, geometry and, and line and all of that. And yet you said on the Frames website, you said, I spend a good deal of my time prowling my environment in the hopes of being surprised. Surprised by what? Right. <laughs> good question. Yeah. Um, what surprises you when, when you're out waiting to be surprised? You know, again, it's not something that I can easily define, except that it's one of those uh, proverbial, I know it when I see it uh -huh. deals. It might be a, a kind of architecture or a way that the architecture has been treated. could be color. It could be the juxtaposition of, of a building and something else. I go out, I would say anticipating, but hoping that um, something will unfold in front of me that will go, wow. And, um, and then I'll do my best to try and capture what made me go, wow. The wow may be very subtle. I mean, that may sound like a total contradiction, an oxymoron. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> there's something inside of me that goes, oh, yeah. I, I know that gut feeling. I know, I know that you know it when you see it, that there's just something cool that you're looking at. And, and that cool right. factor comes, comes from you know, our own personal histories, our own personal sense of things that have impressed us uh, in the past. Let's talk for a moment about the shot that many people at Frames uh, are probably familiar with, and, and that is the former Pentecostal church on Clump Avenue shot. Mm -hmm. um, right. Tell me just the narrative of you're walking down the street and suddenly here it is. What made you take the shot? What made you put it up on Frames? I mean, what about that shot was wow, and how'd you work it? Yeah, it was an arrangement of, of um, elements um, attached to the building. I mean, it's it's got some utility stuff going on. And it has that, that uh, funny square frame, white frame against the gray that I thought was interesting. It's got the, the Italian Cypress behind it. I'm not, I'm not looking at the image at the moment, but there might be a, a telephone pole. Um, yes. So there are all these things going on. And then there's this shadow of another telephone pole off, off camera. And that, that sort of diagonal coming in, that that's a for me, a, a kind of very sexy sort of visual element with you have all this rectilinear stuff happening and then you get this diagonal coming in and mm -hmm. that sort of set it apart for me. Well, and what's interesting also is that diagonal nearly mimics the diagonal of a downspout just over to its right uh, on the right. right hand side of the frame. And you have conduit, electrical or whatever conduit running down the center. There's all sorts of lovely hard angles in here. And then you've got that diagonal. You've also got the round little electric meter hiding over, sort of counterbalancing the big white square to the left. Um, right. Most people would walk by that and not see sort of the dance of, of lines there. What, what do you think is, is the emotional appeal to that kind of organization, that kind of composition? Boy, that's that's another really good question, and one that I'm not sure I'm, I'm prepared to answer, except for you know, the the fact that I'm wired that way, and I think part of what I do, as I think most photographers do, is if it if it appeals to me, then perhaps it's going to appeal to others, and that's part of the process. I, although I, I it it's always going to be in that order. Um, it's got to appeal to me first, mm -hmm. and if it does, then I I'll pursue it. What others think about it, that's I'm going to leave up to them. You know, part of it is 
having seen many things and, and thinking, well, that, that sort of fits into the kinds of things that I look at. But at the same time, you know, to say, I want to be surprised. So I, I'm also searching for circumstances that, that violate that um, in order to be surprised. When I am surprised, it's, it's like it's everything in me to attempt to rise to the occasion that's been presented to me. It's, it's the terror and the fun of it. <laughs> I like that phrase, the, the terror and the fun of photography. Right. Um, I should tell the people listening that we're, we're switching over to uh, the other website, to douglashillphotography.com. And, and I hope you get a chance to look at that uh, as you're listening to this. Doug, there, there's a shot there. It's, it's the second one on this website. It, it's a beige-ish, yellowish, I believe it's an apartment building that has an interrupted tree shadow on it. Mm -hmm. Do right. you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Okay. I'm amazed by, by this photograph because it's it's bringing back to me two things. Number one, humans love symmetry. Uh, symmetry gives us pleasure. I mean, it gives us comfort. Uh, we, we see an order in things. But I remember when I was in college, a, a professor walked up to the board and drew a you know, standard you know, happy face, you know, round circle, two dots and a smile. Then he, he just went to the right and he drew another one, but he didn't complete the circle. He left three or four inches open at the top and put in the two eyes and the mouth. And he looked at the class and he said, which one is, is better? Um, and everyone said, oh, the one that, that you completed. He said, which one is more interesting? And everybody said, the one with the gap. And he said, why? Right. He said, because, because we get to step in. We get to complete it. And th there's, a, there's a more active participation to that image. I'm looking at this apartment building here, and I'm thinking the way that shadow is interrupted really is an invitation for me to step in to sort of complete the picture. And I'm seeing that kind of invitation in a lot of your work, where the symmetry is there, but there's also something available. You know, it's not the closed circuit. Take, for example, the one just below it. No idea what this really is, but it's, it's a yellow wall and a black support and then a, a turquoise wall above it. You know which one I'm talking about? Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a black vertical and, and a black horizontal? Yes. Yep. Okay. T tell me the story of that shot. I don't know that there's really a story to it, um, except that, you know, I was walking along Vineland Avenue in, in North Hollywood and um, had been shooting as I do. And it just presented itself as, oh, that is something that I'm interested in. The color combination is really unusual. There are some nice shadows. The wires are interesting and, and um, again, do these interesting sort of diagonal things to the uh, frame. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this glass block window. And then this very kind of um, nondescript, looks like a, an auto body shop or something next door. And the eye goes from the, the more interesting looking building to the less interesting building. But the juxtaposition to me is, is a big part of what the picture is about, what makes it interesting to me. And, and not only does the eye go from the interesting to the uninteresting, it immediately rebounds then back to that black. I mean, and it is a cross there in the middle. So you have all sorts of uh, thematic issues. You've got color issues. You have the, the you know, wonderful blue sky back there. In many ways, this is like your architectural stuff, but instead of all the intense planning, you have serendipity. You have just the, oh my heavens, there it is feature to it. You know, I, I realized that my training from architecture, shooting architecture, has certainly spilled over into doing my, my fine artwork. And I'd say it goes back and forth, but 
certainly there's a, a kind of precision involved in shooting architecture when you, you're doing it for clients. And, you know, in order to be, to some extent, to honor the architecture, the intent of the architect in the first place, that's something that I'm going to bring to situations where I'm probably paying more attention to the architecture than maybe the architect did initially. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I mean, a building like this probably got banged out by somebody. Um, you know, I don't know that they spent a lot of time working on it. Maybe they did. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I'm sure they moved on a long time ago. And now it's up to me to, to convey what that's about as it looks today, which I'm sure is also very, very different from what, the way it did when, when it was originally built. Why do you think photographers love patina, that, that they love the worn and, and, and the, the frayed, um, everything from the cliched sort of falling down barn to Route 66 pictures to, you know, urban landscapes that have been seen or that have seen some better days? Why do you think we like that? Well, I know for myself, because I've had a lot of time to think about it, I and mean, that's one of the things that, that happens when I'm out photographing, I'm looking for photographs, that there are layers of information. And um, you know, I'm really interested in conveying that in, in photographs. So when I see something that has the original intent of the architect, perhaps, or the builder, whoever, and then there are these other things that have, have, have occurred to it, then it becomes that much more interesting. It's it's like there, there's this unthinking creative process going on. And, you know, it's like the hand of time, if you will. And some of it is the hand of man. I mean, human beings um, are using these things in various ways. But all of that stuff, you know, it, it becomes more interesting to me that, that there are these plants in this planter, for instance. And it looks like, you know, maybe some of them need to be weeded out a bit. Um, and they're kind of haphazard. And then there's this shadow falling across the building from a pole of some sort. So all of that stuff and the, you know, the, the mess that uh, the asphalt is, that just to me is, is it's got a lot more texture and character to it. Um, that's going to keep mm -hmm. me coming back and looking at something more often than something that's pristine. I got to tell you, there's one of your projects that I am completely jealous about, uh, and, and and that that is the Every Bridge Over the L.A. River project. And that that kind of large scale project is 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 the stuff that's close to my heart, simply because it's epic. I mean, th th this is not you know I got a couple hours I'm going to go out and find something. Th this is a commitment. It is documentation. It, it's it's so many things. Tell me where this idea came from, how you got started, uh, if there's a couple images in there that have got particular narratives. But give me the backstory on this one, because I love this project. Oh, well, thank you very much. It, it didn't start out epic by any means. I had been hired by a company, an, an engineering company, that was retrofitting several of the bridges. This was following the earthquake in, in, it was in the early 90s. And um, so there were literally thousands of bridges in Los Angeles that were being upgraded for earthquake. And so they wanted to document, because these were historic bridges east of downtown Los Angeles, and they wanted to document the process that they were going through. They were beholden to the Department of Public Works to maintain the look and feel wherever they possibly could of the original architecture. They wanted to make sure that they could show later on that they had in fact honored that. So that's why they hired me. So I was working on the 4th Street Bridge and the 1st Street Bridge and uh, the Cesar Chavez Bridge, 
on Sixth Street. I, you know, I fell in love with the bridges. I had access. I was shooting at that time with uh, a four by five and, and shooting uh, primarily black and white. And I thought, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to explore these bridges a bit more. So I thought, well, I'll, there, there's some that are more interesting to me than others. Around that time, I, I invited Tim Ride, who was at the time the, the acting curator of photography at um, LACMA, at the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art, Museum of Art, not, not contemporary. He did a studio visit. I showed him some of the work that I'd, I'd done. He said, this is interesting. But he said, you know, you, you can't stop. You can't cherry pick. You, you've got to, you have to keep going with it. He said, I, I think you should shoot them all. And I said, shoot them all? Are you out of your mind? But, you know, he was somebody whose opinion I respected. And I thought, okay, sure. I can, I can take a suggestion like that and perhaps try and run with it, not knowing how far I would go with it. Over the period of um, a couple of years, I did exactly that. I shot every, absolutely every one of the bridges and pipelines and footbridges, an equestrian bridge that goes over the Los Angeles River. And it took me to places that I would never have thought to go. The, the pictures that surprised me the most were ones in areas that I would never have thought there would be anything interesting. There's one with a very kind of sweeping bridge. It's, it's a, an overpass, the river in the foreground. And, and, a, and a central pillar just off center. Yeah, exactly. If you saw that configuration of, of elements, I, and I had, I'd gone by it many, many times, and really hadn't given it a second thought, that kind of presented itself to me. And I said, oh, this, this is something that I can do a lot with, and, and I, or at least I felt I could. So I, I, I worked at it. There's another picture from that same series, which is largely black at the top and the bottom. And there's another connector. Sweep, from one. Yep. Swe- yeah, yeah. Sweeping bridge uh, in the center there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And th- that was one that, that I really didn't think was a picture at all. But there was something about it. Um, I just kind of set the camera down at one point. I thought, eh, no, nah, there's nothing there. And I know when I hear that, that voice in, in the back of my head that says, no, there's nothing there. It, I, I know I had better take the picture. And, um <laughs> Uh, at one point, I had given up t- doing fine art photography for about 12 years. Um, again, oh, I was kind of burned out on it. Yeah, and it was, you know, sort of one of those uh, at, at a time when most uh, photographers are really working at developing a career. Um, so, of course, that, that, that meant, oh, I better run away from that. But when I came back to it, um, the one thing that I, I uh, insisted to myself I would do is if it occurred to me to do it, to, to shoot it. With digital, there's, and this was still back in the days of film, and so you, know, you had to concern yourself with how much more film was on the roll or how many holders you had loaded um, to shoot with. But you know, certainly with digital, th- that really isn't an impediment. Um, so I just I shot, and thinking it was nothing. And um, it ended up being certainly one of my favorites from that uh, series. And then th- the fact that... Those two images and um, two or three others were all made within a couple of hours of each other. It's, it's one of those anomalies. It's one of those things that I don't, there's no way to prepare for it. But very often you can work at something, you can put months, years into a project. The best work, the, the most compelling work can often occur in a very short period of time. And it's just mm-hmm. about, about being in a certain place in a certain time. It just 
kind of rising to the occasion. You made very different decisions with each of these bridges from where you're standing, from how close, from how far away. Some of them are actually quite distant. Some are really intimate. You know, the angle, was this all just your mood when you were there, time of day, the shadows, or was there some planning having seen these bridges before you shot them that, oh, here's the element I want to go after? Actually, with most of them, there was no way to pre-plan. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in using Google Street View to see what um, <laughs> uh, you know an area is going to look like before I get there. I mean, I, I, I do that, and certain things will jump out at me, but the, the, the river doesn't have that, um, at least not that I know of. So um, I was going into most of these situations blind. And working with whatever the circumstances were, occasionally I would go back because the the lighting wasn't right or the you know the sky wasn't right. Something wasn't what I thought it could be, um, and I was still interested in in that particular bridge. But most of them, I it was a matter of working with what I found. And and I see in these pictures, you know, again that that unmistakable stamp of of the architecture uh, interest because of the use of, of line and, 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 the, and the way the shapes con- come together. That first one you mentioned with the sweeping bridge and the river underneath it, um, mm-hmm. for the people that, that are listening, and I hope you get to see it, I mean, the river has this beautiful little shallow S-curve in it, um, right. which is you know a- almost mimicked by the sweep of the bridge above it. And then you have the, the rigid pillars, the support pillars to the roadway. It, it is a fluid and yet really strong picture. And again, you know, I look at it, and I think I would have been the guy standing 20 feet one way or the other thinking, <laughs> gee, this is cool. And then getting home and realizing, oh, you know what? I, I, I didn't get it. I got to go back. That, that's you know, So much of it is, I mean, musicians talk about ear training. Photographers have to have eye training. You've got to be able to intuit mm-hmm. where, where that shape is going to come to some realization. Yeah. And, and anything go wrong with this shoot? You get chased away from anything? Anything? <laughs> It's funny the, the the LA River is actually a very accessible place, and due in part to someone I who, who unfortunately just passed away this year, Lewis McAdams, who was the first person to seriously go in and commit an act of civil disobedience. He took wire cutters, cut open a section of the chain link fence that that blocked off the river from uh, from the public. And he made it his mission to open the river to to the public. And as a result, it has become that. I mean, we have uh, bike paths on, on either side of many parts of the river. And it is used as a, a, a recreation place by many now. So these places are, are much more accessible than they once were. And, you know, there were certainly areas that I learned about when I was doing the commercial assignment for the engineering company. That you know, I could drive in underneath the Sixth Street Bridge and actually be in the the riverbed, um, you know, where all those great chase scenes um, have been shot for movies over the years, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. They've now um, shored that up a bit, but you know, it's it's not that difficult to pull off. Um, I even forded the river in in, in my uh, SUV a couple of times because um, it's that <laughs> it's not shallow. <laughs> it's not that's that brilliant, yeah. that impressive an act. 
Well, you you mentioned the movies. Of course, my whole experience of the L.A. Rivers is, you know, the space shuttle lands there. There are car chases there. It's what funneled lava away from a volcano. So I really, I really love seeing these images from down below, to use the cliche, getting up close and personal with these. And again, it may not have started off as epic, but it certainly wound up that way. We have just a couple of minutes left here. But tell me about the project you call Separation Anxiety. And part of it is is what I touched on um, earlier, I guess, it's that, you know, that element of surprise and hoping that there will be something that astonishes me or, or grabs me visually. But then there's this other feeling of like, I, you know, here's the situation. Are you going to rise to the occasion or not? And so that that fills me with at least some dread that for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not going to be able to convey what it is that's going on in front of me. And at the same time, I, I am concerned that what I'm photographing, I'm not really responding firsthand to, that there's somehow some kind of force in between me and, and the objects that I'm shooting that doesn't allow me to get any closer to them than I do. And, you know, both um, in fact and, and metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hernandez, um, who's a fine photographer, uh, also uh, in Los Angeles, or primarily in Los Angeles, said at one point, many years ago, that he wanted to get to the point where he could do away with using the camera at all, um, that he could go to a scene, look at it, and that would be satisfaction enough for him. He's never actually done that because <laughs> uh, it's very hard <laughs> to make a living at it. Uh-huh. Um, come back and you just report on, on, well, yeah, I saw this scene and this is what it looked like. Then you become a writer um, or some other kind of performer. You know, I understand that, that his feeling that in some respect, the camera becomes a mitigating factor, um, that it's in the way of what you're looking at, as opposed to something that might illuminate what's going on. I think it can do that. I worry some of the time that it's something that's just gotten in the way. Well, pick, pick one of these images um, and, and, and tell me how that plays out specifically. Okay. And for everybody listening, once again, we're at douglashillphotography.com and, and the tab separation anxiety. There is a, an image of um, taken at uh, LAX um, with an overpass up above and sort of two cutouts on, on either side in the upper left and right corners. There's something about that the image tells the viewer that, yes, the photographer was indeed there. I'm not sure. And and I remember being there and I remember how it felt to be there. But I had this feeling that I wasn't connecting with what was in front of me. It was almost like I was seeing it in in a film or a TV show. And and I would like to to find some way to get beyond that. But I'm not sure what that is. And I think that's part of the separation for me and and the reason that I feel um, anxiety about it. Does that make sense? Okay. No, it does. And and I find it illuminating. Yeah, there are some separations in these images as well, you know, buildings that aren't together or, or that are up, you know, separate and stuff. But the separation you're really talking about is that there was something else in the air there that you feel you, you approximated but never quite nailed. Would that be fair? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Boy, you know, <laughs> I think just about every photographer in the world is going to nod their head and say, yep, been there. <laughs> your heart and your gut said, this is really, really cool. And you get back home and you put it on the screen and you think, and I didn't get it. Right. You know, I, I, I got close. But, you know, the sweet thing about that is that's what 
takes us out the door tomorrow morning. Well, th this is remarkable work. I, I enjoy every bit of it. We, we are hopefully in, in the end of the COVID days, the end of the virus days. Tell me a little bit about how th that's influenced your work, if it has, and what's coming up next. Well, COVID certainly, at first I thought, Ooh, this is, this is going to be a, a problem. And, and it only has been when we've been on stay-at-home orders, which I'm, I want to obey because I think really this is the primary way that we're going to lick this thing. It, it, I don't think it's just going to be about vaccines. I think it's it's really going to be about us continuing to wear masks and and um, not conveying this thing from one person to another. So um, I want to obey that. But um, on the other hand, I'm I'm careful when I go out these days. Um, I go to areas where I I know that there isn't going to be a lot of foot traffic. And in some respects, it's actually um, a bit of a blessing for somebody who who shoots places like this with the intention of shooting them primarily without people because um, there's a whole lot fewer people around. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not, not that I've been concerned about having people out there. I mean, I, they, they do wander into the frame and I don't worry at all about um, uh, what people think of what I'm going, what I'm doing and not anymore. I mean, that was when I started out, that was a big problem, but I've, I've uh, gotten rid of that quite effectively so I would say it's it's mostly that I, I can go to these areas unmolested, as it were, and shoot to my heart's content. Yeah, the, I mean, the separation anxiety thing actually began long before um, we went into COVID. I would say I, I started on the project probably four or five years ago, or at least started to identify it as something that I was, I was um, experiencing. And sort of confronting that emotional part of the process when I'm out there is part of what what fuels the process for me you know if it was just if i if i went out and i felt great about everything it it wouldn't be particularly interesting to me but going out and having some anxiety about what i'm looking at and what and the process that i'm going through makes it much more interesting i think and i hope is conveyed in in the pictures at least to some degree i'm you know i'm constantly working on new projects and they they come up organically, I think, from the process of going out and shooting for the most part. Um, you know, occasionally I'll get a, an idea for something and then pursue that. But for the most part, it's it's I'm shooting and then my eye gets caught by something and I find uh, either the subject matter or my way of dealing with it is different than what I have been doing. And I kind of file that away and that can reemerge and become something new. Well, it, it is remarkable work from beginning to end. I don't know anybody else that can make a hotel lobby look interesting or as, <laughs> as, as interesting as, as you do. And, and at the same time, go out and do these, these wonderful fine art projects. Uh, Doug, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Scott, thank you. It's been great uh, for me as well. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.